This afternoon, I'd like to explore with you the topic of the five aggregates in a brief overview, and then um, go into a little more exploration of one of those five that we began looking at this morning, that of volitional formations, mental formations, fabrications, it's some, sometimes called. So the five aggregates, and the word aggregate, it's, a, it's actually a pretty good translation for the poly term in terms of what, it's, um, what it means and what it's supposed to convey. But unfortunately, there's a, di a difference in the poly term and the English term in that the poly term, kanda, is an everyday term. It's one that probably, you know, in that language would have been used in an everyday way. Uh, it just basically means bundle or group or heap, something like that. And so it's a, a word that means a something made of other somethings. And aggregate is just what that is. Uh, and it, it, it's a good word partly because the word, um, uh, the, the aggregates in the, uh, the Buddhist sense, they're both something that is made and the, oh, let's see, how does this go? I will just li leave that to the side for now. I can't work it out in my mind in the moment. But in any case, the word aggregate both means um, uh, something made of other somethings, like, you know, you think of aggregate rock. It's basically a rock made of other small rocks. And that's a very good analogy. Uh, the word aggregate is also both a noun and a verb, and that's uh, an interesting piece here because the um, these processes or the aggregates are both understood to be uh, processes or verbs, and they are understood to be the results of those processes. And I'll I'll describe that just briefly in a in a moment. And so the five aggregates or five uh, groups. Guy Armstrong sometimes likes to say, let's just call it the five heaps of stuff, are um, body or form, the polyrupa, feeling, which is um, not emotion, but just a simple aspect of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Vedna, Vedna in the Pali. Perception, this process of recognition, recognizing our experience, Sanya in the Pali. Volitional formation, which we'll talk about today, Sankara in the Pali, and consciousness, the knowing of experience. 
vinyana in the Pali. And so in the Buddhist teaching, the aggregates are described and understood both as processes at work in our being. Feeling feels, perceiving perceives, knowing knows, Formations form, fabrications fabricate, and also they're understood to be uh, the, the results of those processes. And so feeling can be understood as a process, the process of the mind that feels experience and the, uh, the results of that process, whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So it's got both the qualities of being kind of a noun and a verb. And so the aggregate of body is the uh, Well, let's say it's the, it's the experience of uh, the uh, physical senses found through the elemental experience, the, the, four, um, uh, the four elemental experiences of earth, air, fire, and water. We can ex- understand these through um, the simple sensation level of experience of tingling, pulsing, vibration in the, in the air area of the wind element or the movement element. The experience of heat and coolness in the area of uh, fire or temperature. The experience of moisture, fluidity, cohesion in the element of water. The experience of softness, hardness in the element of earth. So this is this is just the bare, the basic uh, aggregate of body. For the purposes of this uh, this couple weeks, I'm actually most interested in the four mental aggregates and in exploring those with you. I've touched a little bit on the body, and we explore the body, of course, because it's a big piece of what we notice. But partly I'm so interested in this teaching of the five aggregates because it is one of the teachings in which the Buddha kind of really pulls apart and explores what happens in our minds. What are the processes of mind that make up our experience? And so these four mental aggregates, feeling, perception, volitional formation and consciousness are the processes by which we receive the world and uh, experience the world and impact the world. So feeling is both the process responsible for um, recognizing or knowing experience as pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral itself. Perception is the process of recognizing experience. Talked about this a little bit the other day, that when we have some impingement 
uh, some sense impression, a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch. The, um, the, it's kind of like we have this little uh, matching algorithm, a filing cabinet in which uh, we have um, memories of experiences and our, uh, our mind goes and tries to find the best match for whatever experience we're having. And then we recognize our experience as that. So it's just, a, it's, a, it's, it's primarily a recognition. So again, the perception can be, uh, the, the aggregate of perception can be understood as the process that does that work of matching or the match it's, it found. And so we can recognize that the mind is perceiving through noticing. We hear the sound of a, of a crow and our mind sees an image of a crow. That image is a manifestation of the process of perception. And we can also recognize the, uh, the image as a perception. It's how we recognize the experience. Volitional formations are, um, this is a big category. It's a big group of experience. It's, um, mo it's, it's almost all of our mental activity. It includes all of our emotions, most of our mind states. I'd say all of our mind states, actually. Um, Sometimes it's understood as b basically being everything that's happening in there except for feeling, perception, and consciousness, which are these other three uh, aggregates. And so it includes all of our emotions, our mind states, um, uh, our thoughts, beliefs, images. You know, it, it, in it includes most of our mental activity. It's huge, huge area of our experience. Again, it is understood to have these two sides to it. So the, the result of the process is the mind state itself. So anger as a volitional formation, it has been formed, but the process of volitional formation forms or creates our mind states. And this is a piece I'll, I'll explore with you. So you don't have to try to figure that out in this moment. It's a little bit, uh, well, we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> so the, um, the kind of the key piece here with volitional formations and the, the reason why the word volitional is used is, is that there's an element of intention or volition accompanying our volitional formations. that um, volition or intention is essentially the, mm, the motivating or engine of our unfolding experience. And we've talked about this in a way that, you know, I've talked about how if, you know, if anger is arising in the mind, you know, this, this creates, it creates consequences for us. We experience... Um, uh, 
we experience suffering in the moment and it also has consequences tumbling forward into the future. When we act out of uh, defilement, when we act out of hindrances, we tend to create the conditions of suffering for ourselves. And it is those, the, the, the engine of volitional formation that sets that into motion. So in saying it's volitional, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a conscious choice or a conscious act of will. We've all seen how these things just arise, you know, it's th- they're a habit, they, they, they have their own momentum, and yet we still reap the consequences of the conditioning power, the constructing power of those states of mind. And so this is a really important area to understand, to really, um, as we see, as our mind sees, as I said, I think yesterday, as our mind sees that it uh, is engaging in an activity that leads it towards suffering, it tends to kind of try to redirect the course, change the, change the direction. And then there is the aggregate of consciousness, the process of knowing, and just the experience of knowing. Again, both the noun and the verb. Each of these aggregates, the Buddha offers an analogy for. And the analogy helps to point to how we tend to get confused about that particular aggregate. Because these mental processes, we tend to, um, the Buddha actually taught this set of mental and physical processes because he recognized that we tend to identify, to cling around these five areas. That they're sometimes called the five aggregates of clinging. They're the places we tend to construct a sense of self. And the analogies that uh, he offers point to the ways in which we tend to mistake or get confused about these aggregates and believe there's something to cling to. I like these analogies, they're very evocative, so I'll just describe them. The other, the other um, thing that some of the commentators, I think Bhikkhu Bodhi, one of the translators of the suttas, says um, that these uh, analogies point to the way in which delusion creeps into these aggregates. So the analogy for body is a mass of foam. And a mass of foam, um, if, you go to the, it, if you go to the beach here, I've seen this on the beach, um, the churning of the organic matter uh, in, the, in the water creates these lumps of foam. They're really, really solid. They seem really solid. They're, they're 
you know, you can, you can see them kind of moving around as lumps, lumps of foam. My understanding is that these kind of lumps of foam also appeared on the Ganges River, <laughs> probably why the Buddha uh, used this analogy, you know, and he said, you know, you see that lump of foam and it looks solid, but when anybody who really understands what a lump of foam is understands it's nothing. It's just, it will disintegrate as soon as you contact it. One day, uh, a friend of mine and I were at the beach on a very windy day. And uh, we, we were, it was really windy. It was probably like 40 mile an hour winds. And the waves were really turning up these, these big lumps of foam. And they would blow up in the air and land on the beach and then go like whizzing down the beach these lumps of foam, these huge lumps of foam. And as they whizzed, they just vanished. They went from appearing to be something to appearing to be nothing. There's a very a visual image of that lump of foam analogy. And so uh, the body has the appearance of solidity. But the Buddha points to it as being Really, just like a lump of foam. Feeling is said to be like a water bubble, a bubble that's floating on the surface of the water. And uh, something creates the bubble, uh, uh, something drops into the water and a little bit of a bubble appears. And so there's a condition, this bubble appears and it lingers. So to me, the lingering aspect of a bubble is this uh, delusive aspect. It, it seems to last for a little while, but then suddenly something happens and it just vanishes. So again, that kind of, uh, that n- appearance of something that has a kind of solidity, but then when you look at it and actually uh, investigate it, you see it has no solidity. Perception is understood to be like a mirage. And this one I find interesting because I think our use of mirage these days, we might um, uh, think it means seeing something that's not there. You know, that's how we might think of mirage. But I actually, um, because the Buddha's analogies are so appropriate, I decided to look up a mirage and see what what is a mirage, and um, what a mirage actually is is uh, there's there's some kind of um, water vapor in the air perhaps, and um, what you're seeing, for instance, when you see look across a desert and see it looks like a lake there. You're seeing a blue lake on the surface of the desert. What you are experiencing is um, the, whatever's in, there's, there's, there's like, you know, maybe particles of dust or maybe just a little bit of moisture in the air that serves as a reflector, almost as a mirror. And what you're seeing on the ground is an image of the sky. 
That's what that mirage is. It's a reflection on the ground of the sky. And to me, this really points to uh, our confusion around perception. Because with perception, we are uh, taking in information in the world and we, we are experiencing a reflection in a way in our minds of what's out there. But it's not the actual thing. There's, there, in the mirage, there's the mistake that what we're seeing, what, what, what is a reflection, we're taking it to be something that's a reality. And that's a very... Um, potent process at work with perception. The mistaking of our, uh, what we recognize to be the thing that's out there. And so we hear the sound of a crow and see the image of a crow in our mind. We may even have an image of it sitting on a particular branch in a particular tree. And it, it creates the, the uh, sense that we have have a we know that 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 that's the crow that's out there so we have a uh, a tendency with perception to take our perceptions to be what is out there rather than recognizing what i am experiencing is a reflection of reality, not the actual thing. It's a reflection of what's out there. It's not the actual thing. This is a huge uh, area of confusion in our, uh, in our minds. And I'll speak about that more as we talk about perception in a few days. Then volitional formation is understood to be like a banana tree. This one uh, may sound a little funny. Um, my understanding of this analogy is that, uh, you know, I actually lived in the, in the South Pacific in the Peace Corps uh, for a couple of years and there were a lot of banana trees around and the um, the local people used the banana leaves to cook with. And so they would cut down a banana tree and start peeling apart the, the, uh, the leaves to, to fold their food up in and cook it in their, their ovens. And they would cut down that banana tree and start peeling apart the, uh, the leaves. And the banana trees look pretty solid when you cut them down. You have to use a hatchet, you know. They're, they're pretty solid. They're like this big around, <laughs> pretty thick, some of them at least. They're pretty sturdy looking things. And you'd cut it down. But when you cut it down and start peeling the leaves away, each leaf has a long stalk to it. So it's got the leaf on the top and then a long, kind of thick stalk to it. And those stalks layer one on top of another, creating this solidity that seems to be there. But when you start peeling each one away, you peel away each of the le leaves, 
there's nothing in the middle. There's no core. There's nothing solid in the middle of that banana tree. It's just a pile of leaves. And with the uh, mental formations, um, my experience of mental formations is that they do seem to layer on top of each other. Anger layers on top of fear, lays on, layers on top of vulnerability, lays on, layers on top of wanting to be safe. And it creates, it begins to create this illusion of some kind of solidity, a solid person that's there. I am this person that feels all these things. And then the consciousness is understood to be like a magic show. This one I've thought about. I I, I don't know exactly what the Buddha meant by this, but there's something I think about the way our and so the consciousness is understood to be just a simple kind of bare not knowing at each of the sense bases. So there's a sight, there's a sound, there's a smell, there's a taste, there's a touch, and there's the knowing of all of those. Seeing, knowing seeing, hearing, knowing hearing, smelling, knowing smelling. And all of our experience is just these little bits of knowing. It's kind of what our experience is made up, these 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 knowing moments and the magic show to me is like to me the the image of a magic show is a weaving of an illusion the weaving of a of a a, 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 an well an image or a a reality that puts everything together. And so as I look as I think about this, you know, the like when I look at this back wall here, the experience right now is simply one of seeing. You know, so the consciousness, there's knowing, there's seeing and there's knowing of seeing. That's the experience that's happening in this moment with that wall. But there's something too, as I, as I um, look at that wall, there's, there's a knowledge or an understanding that comes through perception, through memory, that if I put my hand on that wall or if I ran fast towards that wall, I, w- I would experience hardness. I would experience being brought up short. And the, uh, to me, the, the weaving of the uh, magic show of the consciousness is that it's very hard for us to like, tease apart that visual perception of the wall from the, um, the understanding or the, the, the knowing that it would be hard when we touched it. It's like our mind weaves all of the sense experiences together.
and we don't recognize really that there's different threads coming together. It just seems like all one thing. That's the best I can do right now. <laughs> I can try again later if somebody writes a question. <laughs> So a little bit more about volitional formation. As I said, it's connected in this context. The word, the word volitional formation, the Pali is Sankara. And it's used in different ways in the, in the Buddhist texts. And so in this context, it is used as um, those mental uh, activities that have a volitional or intentional component to it. Again, not necessarily consciously intentional. So this includes all of our emotions, reactivities, greed, aversion, and delusion are mental formations. Wholesome states of mind such as mindfulness, concentration, generosity, equanimity are mental formations. Wisdom is a mental formation. The easiest way to begin the exploration of volitional formations is through the simple exploration we've already been doing around our emotions. What's this experience? What is the experience of anger? What is the experience of frustration? And as I mentioned this morning, get to know the job description of your, uh, of your mind states. This is the basic exploration of volitional formations that we, we, we do this work, relax, receive and allow, we, we just get to know what is that experience. As we do that, as the mindfulness gets more continuous, we also start to see the conditioning and conditioned nature of these states of mind. And so we see, for example, um, a mental formation of uh, uh, some emotion or um, a reactivity. We, f we experience frustration. And we can just experience, okay, this is what frustration is like. But as our mindfulness gets more continuous, we might experience a kind of an unfolding chain of events. We experience uh, something arising that uh, is pleasant in our experience that we want, that that there's the, oh, let, that looks nice. And then, you know, like, let's say those muffins. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how long the muffins lasted, but, you know, so you maybe took a muffin and went back and thought, oh, yes, if I, if I, uh, I'll just wait and if there's an, I'll just walk by the table later and see if there's another one later. 
And so, you know, there's the there's something pleasant out there and, and there's, you know, the, the kind of thought or the idea or the expectation that maybe I'll get a second one. And then you, you walk by the table later just like glancing at the table and, <laughs> and there are no muffins left. <laughs> Conditions, you know. Conditions and there's frustration. Oh, why didn't I come back earlier? Or why didn't I take two to start with? I saw other people taking two muffins. So the, the, it's conditioned. The arising of the frustration is conditioned. If you had, uh, if it had not been, um, if there had been another muffin there, maybe there would, there would be other conditions unfolding. Other mind states unfolding. So we, we can watch, we can see, just as we, uh, as mindfulness gets more continuous, we start to see how our uh, states of mind are constructed based on our, our experience from the past, our experience of the present moment, how we are relating to it. It's possible, it is very possible, to walk by that table, maybe even with the idea of an, a second muffin, and then just see, Oh, no muffins. Wow, that's interesting. So it doesn't have to condition more. It doesn't have to condition frustration. If the mind is really present, it might just be the recognition of, wow, there was this expectation and I see that expectation is not met. And kind of maybe a little bit of a startle that there's no response to that. It's just, oh, that's the way it is. So the conditions of the moment is there, is there uh, ignorance in the mind? Is there delusion in the mind? Or is there wisdom in the mind? Will impact the unfolding of our volitional formations. Volitional formations can arise from perception, from recognizing things. Again, not inherently, but again, how our, is there, is there ignorance in the mind? Is there confusion in the mind? Is there wisdom in the mind? Along with that, perceptions will create certain kinds of conditions. If there's certain kinds of mental formations, if there's ignorance in the mind, a different kind of mental formations, if there's wisdom in the mind. So, you know, uh, kind of a classic example around perception is in a dim room, walking into a dim room and uh, seeing a coiled rope in the corner or seeing a coiled form in the corner. You don't know it's a rope. You see a coiled form in the corner and your mind perceives it as snake and whole host of uh, emotional responses arising out of that perception of that, of that, rec- of that um, idea that it's a snake. And then you might recognize, oh no, it's just a rope. And whew, all of those reactions disappear. So our um, volitional formations can be conditioned based on how we perceive something or what we're perceiving. So this is the first kind of level of exploration of the 
the mental formations. How are they experienced? How do they come to be? And then another aspect of this is the, is the understanding that mental formations are also constructors of experience. They are the engine of our experience. I'll read um, a piece of the description from the texts. The language is a little bit funny, but I'll read it and we'll see, see how it goes. In this particular translation, this is from Tanisaro Bhikkhu, and he's using the term fabrication to mean, to, to translate um, Sankara, volitional formation. So he's using the word fabrication. And I like, I like using fabrication here because he can translate the text using a kind of play on words the way the Buddha did, using both verbs and nouns. Why do we call them fabrications? Because they fabricate fabricated things. Thus they are called fabrications. What do they fabricate as a fabricated thing? They fabricate form as a fabricated thing. That's the aggregate of form. They fabricate feeling as a fabricated thing. They fabricate perception as a fabricated thing. They fabricate fabrications as a fabricated thing. And they fabricate consciousness as a fabricated thing. Because they fabricate fabricated things, they're called fabrications. So really pointing to the nature of these mind states to construct not only other mind states, but to construct feeling and perception and body and what we know. So, example. Anger as a mental formation. How might it fabricate the body how might it condition and create bodily experience? When we're angry, our uh, body tends to constrict. Our face may become distorted. There may be experiences of heat and pressure in the torso. So the mind state of, fab of, of anger generates physical experience. This is um, the mind, the, the mental fabrication, fabricating body, fabricating bodily experience. When uh, we experience anger, not only the feeling of anger is unpleasant, but also a lot of what we experience in the world becomes unpleasant. So this is anger fabricating feeling. We tend to perceive things through a lens of anger. 
when anger is present. We may see something somebody is doing and perceive it as an attack, perceive it as a threat. Anger tends to construct more anger. When we're angry, it tends to be like a foot on the gas pedal if we're not aware of it. When we insert mindfulness into the equation, it changes the picture. But when we are unaware and it's just churning, anger tends to generate more anger. It generates it internally and it tends to generate it in the world too. And we impact each other. And our consciousness, what we know, what we pick up in the world, what we tend to recognize is directed by the filter of anger. In my... um, recognition of the way aversion, I had a, have a very strong aversive tendency in my mind. And at one point, um, my teacher asked me, okay, just, you know, I want you to let go of directing your attention and just notice where does your attention land? You know, what happens as you just let your attention float and see what it lands on? You know, just let it be choiceless. And, and I, you know, did that for uh, even just a few moments. And I, I said, you know, okay, I don't think that can be choiceless because every single experience my attention landed on was unpleasant. And I know that it, not everything out there is unpleasant, but that orientation my mind had towards aversion tended to draw consciousness towards the unpleasant experiences. So it's like the mind in receiving the world tended to receive what it already was looking for to be unpleasant so that it could be averse to it. (laughs) It's amazing what our minds do. So this this is the constructing power of our mental formations. And we can watch this too. We can see what what happens in some ways. The job description. Look at the job description of of these um, mind states, and we start to see the impact it has on our on the other aggregates. So, what impact does a mind state have on body, on feeling, on perception, on consciousness? These. Um, Mental formations are constructed, and so far I've been just talking about kind of internal, how they're internally constructed. But the uh, construction of our mental formations is not something that just happens because we're an individual in the world our um, mental formations are constructed a lot by the views, the opinions, the beliefs, the agendas of our culture. Views, opinions, agendas, and beliefs are, are also mental formations. 
so our uh, our views about experience, about reality, again, inform or construct how we take in experience. I gave the example of the agenda to watch the uh, basketball game and um, count the number of times the basketball passed between people and, you know, what consciousness took in was the basketball and not the gorilla that was on the video. So agendas create the, can create a huge filter on our awareness. Views, beliefs, opinions. Culture in a way can be seen or understood as shared views. Our views, our um, construction of what we believe largely comes because we are immersed in a field of belief from the time we're born. And so they come in, they kind of come in through our pores. They're not, it's not like somebody sits down and tells us, this is how far you stand from somebody that you don't know when you meet them the first time. Or here's how much eye contact you make with a person when, when you uh, don't know them very well. But we, 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 get, we get the rules of the game of our particular family and culture. We absorb the b- views, the beliefs of, of our friends, our families, our cultures. And because we've absorbed them kind of at a subconscious level, you know, they, they are not very conscious. And these views... Um, have a very strong power to impact how we engage in the world. They're very hard for us to see and to recognize as views because they're, it's just like they're the water we're swimming in, the air we breathe. They're harder to see as a perspective or as a view, also because many times the people we are associating with share a particular set of views, and so there's not a uh, a reason to believe it as anything other than truth. And so our cultures, our collective um, experience is a huge shaper of our our own mental formations. We are shaped by our communities, by our cultures, by our families, by our peers. And then we in turn, through our actions, our beliefs, our views, we in turn impact the world. So we're not these isolated individuals just having a mental formation arise in here. Mental formations have a contagious nature to them. In our world, in these last few weeks, the mental formations in relationship to race have been very powerful and destructive. You 
these beliefs, these views about race, about the idea. It's, it's an idea. Race is a concept, an idea. And yet, you know, so you know, I said the other day that what we experience is generated by mind, so we're just experiencing what is, is in here. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have uh, impact on ourselves and on others. A view, an idea, a concept, something that's like seems ephemeral, seems invisible, seems... You know, when we look at it in our experience, we recognize a view, a concept is just a flitting thing in our minds. And yet the delusion around views, concepts, these mental formations, creates a, a reality that we live through. And so a police officer sees a young black child waving a toy and because of views around race and fear associated with perception of race, that child dies. That child is shot. So our mental formations, they're experienced in our mind, and yet they have a, they, they have an impact. This is not, this is not uh, a small thing to begin to understand the way that our minds work And to see how delusion around our ideas, our beliefs, our experience generates so much suffering in the world. And so there's also this kind of recognition that we also are responsible in a way, not only for the construction of our own uh, mental formations, but we contribute those mental formations to the collective. The more there are of us who are interested in seeing through the reification, the beliefs, the beliefs, the, uh, and, and recognizing them as beliefs, as views, the more of us that are, that are willing to do that, the more it can shift the collective. So our formations construct our own experience. They impact the construction of what happens in the world. And we are in turn constructed by what happens in the world. 
It's a very dynamic process at work. And so in terms of witnessing our experience, again, you know, I'm, this is a lot of information. You know, this is a lot of information. But again, I'm going to encourage you to keep it simple. Just relax, receive, allow, and learn. As our uh, mindfulness gets stronger, we begin to be able to watch and see. You know, we begin to be able to see some of the ideas and beliefs in our mind that are constructing our experience. We begin to see how our emotions construct our experience. So we, we don't have to try to do this. Again, it's just, I'm, I'm actually going to tell you at the end of this talk, just forget what I've said. You know, don't even try to remember it. We can also explore and recognize skillful constructions of mind. A lot, we, we experience a lot of reactivity in our practice, but we also experience a lot of beautiful states of mind in our practice. So the five aggregates are the unfolding of our enti- the entirety of our human experience, both the habitual and the reactive, and the skillful, the responsive. Love and compassion are mental formations. Generosity, wisdom, kindness, concentration, mindfulness are mental formations. Let's think about love. How does love construct the five aggregates? When there's love in the heart, the body tends to feel expansive, face can be light and soft. The body is relaxed often with that experience of love. The feeling of metta is usually pleasant. So there's that pleasant feeling tone. And you know, so the unconstricted heart has a pleasant quality to it. And yet what's interesting with that unconstricted heart is that that unconstricted heart can receive whatever comes when that unconstricted heart meets suffering. It resonates in sympathy with that suffering and the experience's compassion. So there's a, a little, it, it's, it's not all pleasant there, you know, because there's the, 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 the landing, the suffering lands. And yet there's no, it feels like, when I think about it, it's like jelly or something. It's like the heart just responds that way. And so there's the, the overarching experience of the unconstricted heart being pleasant. But what's being met may have a range of pleasant unpleasant. We tend to perceive experience when there's love in the heart. We tend to perceive experience through a a lens of generosity and connection as opposed to, 
let's keep our distance. You might perceive others as being more friendly. I know that when I'm experiencing a feeling of metta, I get a lot of smiles. And the feeling of metta is a connecting experience. It's like we recognize other people are there. (laughs) We're not just kind of going around in our isolated little bubble. And so we recognize perception. We see people are people. We understand that they are actually beings having their own lives, their own suffering, their own joys. It's not just some idea of a person. There's much more of a sense of a being that happens with love. And so perception of people changes. Creates the conditions for more connection. So we explore the job description of love, the job description of wisdom. When generosity arises, what does it feel like? What is the experience of generosity? We get to know, and and how does it construct? What happens? as mindfulness and wisdom enter our system, have a huge shaping effect on our lives. You've all experienced this. I mentioned the other night, just thinking back, you know, how has your life changed? Oh, you know, the gradual shifting of of experience through being in the practice. That's the power of the uh, constructing of, of mindfulness and wisdom. Mindfulness and wisdom, creating the conditions for more and more wholesome qualities to appear. So here on this kind of retreat, you know, sometimes we we explore, well, okay, so the, the, the um, wholesome states of mind are kind of the direction we want to go, so let's try to cultivate them. Here on this retreat, the, the practice is really a very... Uh, observational one, a receptive one. We're not a non-interfering stance that we have in this practice. And yet still with this non-interfering stance, that very um, non-interfering stance has a powerful constructing capacity because it includes mindfulness and wisdom. And so as we explore being with a a hindrance, as we explore being with um, a reactive state of mind, the uh, beautiful states of mind, the wholesome constructions are increasing in a couple of different ways. They're increasing because First of all, the, the possibility of transformation, we, we might see at times, we, we might see aversion vanish. In any case, we, we might see a shift that we experience. There's aversion and we're all caught up in it. And then we see, oh, oh, it's just aversion. And we feel a kind of a sense of space around it. So we, we recognize a completely new relationship to that reactivity. And in that new relationship, we feel confidence 
and wisdom and a balance of mind, all wholesome qualities that are strengthening as we do that, as we explore that. And we see, we may occasionally get to see the ending of a reactive state of mind, aversion disappearing, aversion turning to non-aversion, leaving the space for a wholesome quality of mind, non-hatred, very close to metta. And then we also recognize when wholesome qualities arise. We don't go around trying to look for them, but they arise. We feel the heart expand as we hear in the group, perhaps somebody describing something. We feel a connection. Metta right there, arising. Bringing mindfulness to it in that moment, being aware. Oh, this is what's being received right now. Metta is being received. This is the experience of metta being received. When our uh, mindfulness and wisdom meet these beautiful constructors, generosity, equanimity, compassion, love, peace, ease, when mindfulness and wisdom meet those and know them, it creates the conditions for those to be more, it creates the conditions for them to come more frequently in our minds. Love generates love. Peace creates more peace. And so the simple practice, relax and receive, allow, it, it naturally creates the conditions for the less than skillful constructors to begin to weaken and the more skillful constructors to begin to strengthen. So back to the simplicity and you can forget what I've said. <laughs> Just simple, relax, receive, allow, and learn. Thank you for your attention.